Blog Talk Radio. Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. 
Uh, we're gonna t- we talk about our spiritual experiences. We read out of books, and mainly we read out of the Bible. We're going chapter by chapter through the New Testament at this time, and uh, today we're in Corinthians. The call-in number today is 619-924-9744. Sacred Sundays airs every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can use the call-in number actually just to listen, and that's what people have been doing. They've been listening on their phone, so they can have a little bit of Bible study right there and right in their home, wherever their phone is. They could be out shopping, and you can just listen. Anyway, I'd like to uh, say the opening prayer as we all bow our heads and close our eyes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we also pray for all the Christians that are being persecuted worldwide. This has gone crazy, and I've seen some sights that I wish I've never seen. Their freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. Those whose lives have been taken for distorted and evil reasons, and they have become martyrs. Now, I wrote all this. This is the way before all the stuff that has been happening now and how bad it's gotten. We pray for all those suffering from violence here at home and abroad. We pray for those who are sick in both mind and body. We pray for those that are lonely and uncomforted. Please, God, forgive us for our sins. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in our own homes and freedom from addiction of any kind. We pray for the lost and the lonely ones and the ones that can't get help and can't speak for themselves, the little children. Please, God, send your mighty Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them and all your angels to watch over everyone. We pray our prayers go out with our whole heart to all those who suffer in the world, including the animals who can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers, that they have many decisions to make and are praying for all countries for problems of suffering all over the world. We want to thank you, God, for everything that you have given us. We also want to thank you humbly, God, for that, that which you have taken from us. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care and the Blessed Mother Mary to teach us in her graceful and, and welcoming ways and loving ways. And we want everybody and their families to be in our prayers and let's all pray for each other daily because it's a hectic world out there. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And I want to thank you, Mom, and God bless you. And also my daughter, who is the mother of my three grandchildren. And all the mothers out there and the people that have stood in for mothers that are absent. And also, of course, we dedicate this day to our Blessed Mother Mary, who has given us everything that we have and all our hopes and dreams that were in Jesus, her son. She, it was most to think of her and her place, the difficult thing and sacrifice she made, and look at how many billions and billions of people that she has saved and other things that we don't even know about. Okay, then today I want to wish everybody a happy birthday that has a special birthday on Mother's Day. I'm so happy for people that are born on Mother's Day. It's so cool. Anyway, uh, I wish you a very happy and blessed birthday and wish wish you many prosperous uh, times in your head. And if you want to wish anybody a special birthday or make special announcements, just let me know. 
Okay, so uh, let's see. Our, our phone number. Okay, now if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, you can go to www.biblegateway.com or the one I use on if I'm using it online, www.biblia.com. So last week we finally made it to First Corinthians, so I'm going to read you the summary uh from last week and uh, the first one you know the the first letter to the Corinthians the epistle in other words to the Corinthians so these are a bunch of letters that are going out to the Corinthians okay let's see if I can find my spot here and uh you know you want to thank schmoop.com www.schmoop.com uh these are Harvard scholars actually that have had summarized in a a good-hearted way, um, our our Bible teachings, and also they have a lot of other different things. If you want to have summarize uh, Shakespeare or anything, anything else, we'll help you out. So that's at www.shmoop.com. That's where I go. Anyway, so let's read the summary from last week. Corinthians one, Corinthians ends with chapter one. Uh, Paul opens with the letter with a quick reading. And, hey, Corinthians, what's up? He tells us that he's co-writing to the church along with a guy named Sosthenes. Remember, he was the one writing the letter, but it's also pretty clear that Paul is the main man here. He has all the proper apostolic credentials. He starts in with some sweet talks, and he's so super thankful for the Corinthians and all that. Their words and actions are really making God happy. They've also got loads of spiritual gifts that they're really good at. Paul knows that God is going to make things awesome for them. Well, that sounds great. Now, not so great. Okay, now it's time for the bad news. We knew that was going to happen. Paul has received some reports from Chloe and Chloe and is not too pleased. Darn you, Chloe. Anyway, it seems like there has been a lot of fighting going on in Corinth. Lots of divisions are popping up within the community. Some Christians in Corinth are saying they want to follow the teaching of Paul. Some people are claiming allegiance to Paulos. Others are saying Cephas is the man. Some people say they're just following plain old Jesus. It's becoming a problem. What the heck, guys? Paul is pretty annoyed. He wants he wants to know if he has crucified for them, if he was crucified for them, or if they were baptized in Paul's name. The big answer is no. Luckily, Paul didn't baptize that many people when he was there at the last time he was in Corinth. Or the worries these jokers might start telling people that he did baptize them in his own name. Anyway, look, Christ didn't handpick Paul to be his apostle just so he could baptize people or go around saying uh, fancy things. As we know, Paul is a pretty straight and plain talker, and that's probably what made people mad. Namely, that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. That's the big point. Greek people, those who like Apollos, usually have a problem with that because they love wisdom and it doesn't seem very smart for God to let his only die son, son die. Jewish folks, who might have been following Sipas, don't like it because they want all kinds of miracles from their Messiah. Dying on a cross isn't very miraculous, apparently. Anyway, God just doesn't roll that way. He does things, like allowing Jesus to die, that look stupid or weak or pathetic so he can turn the world on its head when everything comes out amazing at the end, in your face world. For Paul, that means no one can claim to be wise, amazing, gorgeous, fantastic person. God just just hates that stuff. He wants us to be humble. 
The only time people are allowed to brag is when they're bragging about God. Enough said. Anyway, so now we're going on to read for ourselves, as we've been doing, 1 Corinthians. Now we're on chapter 2, amazingly enough. So everybody get out your Bibles, and we're going to start reading in chapter 2. I read out the Ryrie Study Bible, as I've told people in the past that have listened to our service on our Sunday mornings, is because I found my original Ryrie, R-Y-R-I-E Bible, uh, somebody had threw it away by the trash cans in the back of the alley when I was living in Hermosa Beach. And uh, I picked it up, and it said, big on the front, study Bible. So I went, okay, I'll study this Bible. So... I was reading the Bible, studying it, and I began writing, and uh, I do have a almost done book there, and um, I just have uh, have to find an editor, and uh, it doesn't seem like I'm editing myself, so anyway, God help me. Anyway, hopefully everybody's gone to Chapter 2 by now, and let's begin reading. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I, I, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, he's talking about the misunderstanding of the Spirit's ministry of revealing. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, in wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of the glory. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit, and for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For those who have known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct who will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So that's that's a short little letter there. And uh, let's go back and read the notes. Powerful words. Okay, the notes. We'll start on 2-3. Paul arrived in Corinth after a discouraging experience in Athens and was anxious about the believers he had just left in Thessalonica and the overwhelming wickedness of the Corinth undoubtedly added to his anxiety. Now he's talking about the wisdom of man. 
Paul did not want their faith to be replaced by clever arguments in the power of God, mystery. The gospel all proclaimed, which is understood only by divine revelation, and uh, the rulers of this age, those who were crucified, who had crucified Christ for the rulers of this age. And then the, it's a quotation of these things long hidden and now revealed by the Spirit. And then 2.13, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This difficult phrase may perhaps mean interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual minds. 2.14, a natural man, an unsaved man, where the same word is used, is worldly-minded to indicate a person that does not have the spirit. And then we're at 2.15 now. He who is spiritual, a mature Christian who is led and taught by the spirit, appraises all things. He can scrutinize, sift, and therefore understand all things. But unbelievers, even carnally-minded Christians, cannot appraise or understand him. So that's the warning, and it's a short little letter. So... Uh, next week we will go to uh, chapter 3 and uh, thank you all for listening I just think we'll go to our little guidepost to read a little story here too so let's go it's a short little little chapter but we'll just read them page by page because being persistent and patient is what we should do and uh, let's see what we're going to do. I'm just looking for um, um, okay. The t- it's called the tight squeeze and you know I'd stick these at random. I was just trying to pick a story I hadn't read before. And this is from a guide post. Tight squeeze by Michael Ulrich from North Royalton, Ohio. That boy is still trapped, Dad said. Jerry, get dressed. You too, Mike. Maybe we can help. It was 6.30 in the morning, but the right away Jerry and I knew which boy he was talking about. It had been top news story on the radio and the TV the night before. It was 1965, and three teachers and 16 boys from the Methodist Children's Home in Berea, Ohio, had gone out on an outing. The van carrying them broke down shortly before noon. While it was being repaired, three of the young guys spotted a cave and decided to do a little exploring. One of them... The same age as me, 15, crawled through a narrow opening in the cave's interior, then became disoriented and slid headfirst about 10 sloping feet into a V-shaped crevice. He was stuck fast. By mid-afternoon, newscasters had put a call out for help. Volunteers needed to be strong and get small enough to squeeze in the narrow passage where the boy was trapped. That night, after hearing the, the news, Dad seemed especially serious. His eyes scanned as eight boys gathered around the supper table. I wasn't surprised when he said, we ought to do something. They've got plenty of experts in gear, Mother said. You'd only get in the way. Dad said nothing more about it until the next morning when he headed for work and heard in his car radio that after 18 hours, the boy, Morris, was still with his head down in the cave. Rescue has been working all night. An 85-pound nurse from Akron, with ropes tied around her waist, had slithered through the opening and managed to wriggle within two feet of the victim. But she panicked in the cramped corners and had to be pulled out. Ohio's governor had contacted expert speedlunker William Karras, flying him and his crew from Washington, D.C. in an Air Force jet. Even Mr. Karras, 135 pounds and skinny as a piece of spaghetti, wasn't thin enough to go through the hook rescue gear in two morris. 
A rig was being brought to drill down 100 feet on top of the overhanging cliff. It was a dangerous move. The whole cave might collapse, but all of their efforts had failed. That's when Dad pulled up to a phone booth and reported he couldn't be at work. He turned around and came back home to get us kids. An hour later, he and Jerry and I had traveled 20 miles to Wildcat Cave. You would have thought a country fair was going on. Reporters, cars, people, and generators to keep the lights and equipment going. The opening of the cave itself stared out like a huge dark eyeball. Dad asked to see someone in charge, said maybe he could help, but so many others had volunteered and no one paid much attention to us. Mr. Carlos was pacing and rubbing his fingers in his hair. Dad looked at us, and when he, he nodded our okay, he tapped Mr. Carlos's shoulder. I'm sure my boys can squeeze through. They're small, but they're rough. Mr. Carlos studied us. He could tell he was desperate. Finally, he said, you'll have to sign a liability release. He hesitated, swallowed for Dad, and then uncapped his pants. Twelve weighed only 82 pounds. Mr. Carlos had attached two ropes to my brother, gave him a light and plenty of instructions. Morris was trapped about 10 feet down in a crack about 18 inches wide at the top and 9 inches at the bottom. We watched Jerry wiggle through his slit in one of the cave's inside walls. Almost right away, he yelled he wanted out and was hauled back. Did you get him? We shouted. Almost. He was pale. I can't do it. He'd been over sick. It's okay, son, he said, hugging Jerry. Mike, your turn. My weight, my usual weight was 135, but I had trained down to 120 to get on a wrestling team in high school. He also told Mr. Karras about my first aid training as an Eagle Scout. I worked my way through the darkness like a crab. While the others shone lights in behind me, I eased into the fissure head first, wriggling down in a weird kind of swim. The passageway was so tight I had to exhale in order to inch myself ahead. Every time I took a breath, I was locked tight against the wall. Ten minutes later, I had squirmed my way, oh, squirmed my way only eight feet. No wonder the kid had gotten stuck in here. I could get caught myself. When I finally got close to Morris, I understood why my brother had gotten sick. Morris smelled like a rotten fish. He had been pinned for 20 hours by then, and the order turned my stomach, too. Rescuers above were poking lights in as far as they could, but I was in my own shadow. I couldn't use my right hand either. I needed to brace myself and keep from sliding from the, on top of Morris. Get me out, I heard his muffled voice. Please. He couldn't help me. One arm was wedged beneath him. Worse, he was slipping in and out of consciousness. Mr. Carras's voice echoed through the opening. He was yelling at Morris about how stupid he was to have gone down the cave in the first place. <laughs> it was a smart tactic. It roused the trapped boy, making him mad enough to answer. When I get out of here, I'm going to beat you up. Anger made his blood stir, keeping him alert. With my left hand, I worked a strap around one of his knees, and the hardest part was getting it through the buckle using only one hand. Sucking in my breath, I wriggled back out. Mr. Kraus and the other rescuers cheered and grabbed the ropes to pull out Morris's body. My limbs felt as if they were full of hot needles. I rubbed them to get the feeling back, and wrestling had never taken strength like that. It was good to see daylight again and to breathe fresh air instead of a stale cave and a kid who smelled like an outhouse. The cheering stopped. It turned out pulling had merely wedged Morris tighter. Not enough lift, Mr. Curtis announced. He looked at me, still sprawled on the ground. You're the boy's only hope, he said. I hate to ask you, but could you go in again? 
When he said that, the story of David and Goliath flashed in my mind. This was a challenge that sure seemed to be as big as Goliath. David had been a young guy like me, and he had been given strength to conquer, to conquer his giant. With God's help, I would too. It was even harder the second trip in, but at least I had been given more directions about what to do. Another strap, but now around both Morris's legs. Next, grouping, dropping the, sorry, grouping the rocks to find some place to hook a second rope. A doorknob-sized stone jutting out of my work. With my left hand and my teeth, I managed to fasten a loop around the rock to pass the first rope through, like a pulley to give lift. When I finally got out, I couldn't stand without help. The men hauled me uh, hauled on the rope, and it's working. Then the groves again. Only the bottom half of Morris was moving. His upper half was still stuck. Nobody said anything. Mr. Carrasco's eyes were moist as he pointed towards me again. I shouldn't be asked to make another trip into that pit. David, I bet, felt weak, scared, not up to it. In the Bible story, he had carried five stones, and that's not one or two, when he went to face Goliath. And as I saw it, he intended to persevere, not just turn and run if his first attempt didn't hit the mark. He had a job to do, and he did it. I began my third trip into that cold, dark dungeon. Once again, I made a loop with my left hand and teeth. Morris was barely conscious. You've got to help me or you'll never be able to get out and beat up Mr. Carras, I told him. That roused him, and finally between us, we worked the rope around and underneath his shoulders. I secured the ropes and straps, and for the last time, I'd hope. Then I slowly shimmy back out again. This time, the rescue team had rigged up a long pole with a hose attached. They shoved it into the crack and poured a gallon of glycerin into the hose. Morris was greased like a pig to help him slide him out. Then pulled. Morris moved. He was emerging. At 1.30 that afternoon, I got my first real look at the boy I helped save. Breezes covered his poor face. Morris was carried to a waiting ambulance, and after 25 and a half hours of being trapped, he was free. He'll be fine in a few days, the doctor said. Suddenly, I was no longer tired. I felt good. Sometimes the tasks and circumstances we face seem like Goliath. They appear to be impossible. When you confront them, you'll be given the strength to carry on, to overcome. Maybe even help somebody else along the way. I mean, man, what a wonderful story it's just amazing and I want to thank you so much for listening today and tuning in and those that are faithfully listening in archives and those that listen every every Sunday. I want to thank you so much uh, for keeping me in your prayers. I have been very ill. It's been a few years and I was finally diagnosed with a, a thyroid problem and um, I have been very ill. So I'm going to keep going because this this makes me feel good to do this just like that kid coming out of that hole I I feel good when I'm doing what I'm, I should be doing and that's reading the Bible every Sunday morning and sharing it with you and just pray for me because there's supposed to be an excellent recovery rate after surgery so anyway so that's it so I'm asking for your prayers today and I once again I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and to my mother, I love you. And to the blessed mother, thank you for everything. And to my daughter, who's the mother of my three grandchildren, and a lovely mother, thank you, honey. And in closing our prayer, we say our traditional serenity prayer. 
as we think of those who are out there still suffering after a moment of silence. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And in closing, may God unbless and keep you in his loving arms so you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Remember, you're never alone. God loves you so much. May your dreams come true and true love live in your heart. May God bless you and keep you in every way. God bless you. Amen. See you next week. Bye-bye.